Welcome to another episode of the No Ceilings Podcast. As always, I'm Tyler Metcalf, joined by Tyler Rucker. Rucker, how's it going? Doing great, Metcalf. How are we doing, bud? I mean, we're getting really crazy. You know, we got a couple weeks until the official, you know, the dinner bell is going to be rung. The draft season's really, really officially getting underway. How are we feeling? Are you are you hanging in there? Are you as tired as I am? Oh, I, I'm always exhausted, but I'm, I'm really excited. I'm very excited. Uh, the, the move has gone swimmingly i finally have a desk in my office so i'm no longer sitting on the floor of my living room using an ottoman as my desk so making big moves in the world um but yeah i'm I'm just very excited for this draft season because that this has been a really fun draft class despite it not being you know maybe as prolific as the last couple years that have really spoiled us but i think there's so much intrigue from you know real you know the top three debate to where the hell do you go four or five through 15. And then anything after that is just a wild card to me. Yeah. I I feel like every single year, I feel like at some point of the season, like college basketball season or, you know, NBA, someone tries to come out and like downplay the draft, like Mm -hmm. or the draft class where it's like, Oh, it's not as strong. And then all of a sudden, this is the time of the year where people are like, wait, you know, it's a little bit more intriguing than we were hinting early on. And it's like, it's okay to be, pumped up and excited about the draft class. I'm like you, there's, there's some really fun um, storylines that are going to develop over the next couple of weeks, you know, with the combine and with players like doing interviews and stuff like that. Um, the shade and sharp, you know, curveball we're all waiting for, which is going to explode the internet when that happens. Cause I already know it's, you know, it's like a slow motion death. It's coming. So yeah, there, there's a lot of fun stuff. I'm, I'm pumped. You know, me and you were talking before the pod about kind of, what we got going on for the next couple months, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about what we got in the pipeline for all of No Ceilings and especially this podcast. Um, but over the weekend, uh, I'm as much as I'm into the draft, I also like to unwind with movies. I'm a huge movie fan, and I'm sure everyone saw it, but uh, things got a little heated at the Oscars, and w- w- Will Smith inspired us uh, in a little <laughs> different way than... You know, he's maybe inspired other people throughout his career, but he clearly reached his boiling point. Uh, yes. while, while I don't think either of us are planning on taking it to quite that level tonight, um, we did want to talk about some draft cliches and arguments and evaluations that really bring us to our boiling points when, you know, we keep seeing them over and over again on social media or on talking show, talking head shows or podcasts or whatever. So Rucker, let's start out with your first one. Yeah, like a quick side story before I, I unlaunch my first one. Metcalf isn't kidding for everyone listening. Like he literally texted me and he was like, hey, should we do an episode inspired by Will Smith? And I was like, where are you going with this one, bud? But it was funny because we, we talked it out and I was like, yeah, no, this is a good this is a good episode to kind of let out some frustration, you know, almost like going to therapy, clearing the air before we uh, keep going forward, because we're going to see it a lot. Um, I think a lot of our listeners are going to see this a lot on social media or hear it every single day by uh, certain sports channels that talk about it over and over and over again. But, you know, I'm going to start this one out with the most obvious one. You know, I'm tired of everyone talking about, you know, a guy can't be good because of his frame. And yes, folks listening, I'm talking about Chet Holmgren and everyone saying he's too damn skinny. I don't know, it just drives me insane. Like, I get it. It's obvious. Um, I'm the first one. Like, you know, me, you, our entire No Ceilings crew, um, all the evaluators out there that take this passionate. Like, we get it. We can see the same thing everyone's talking about. We understand, you know, Chet Holmgren's listed at 7 foot, 195 pounds. He has to bulk up over his career. We get it. But guys can add weight. And, and, you know, also guys can make an impact without having that incredible frame already. You know, Kevin Durant out of college had the same exact, you know, storyline. People were like, gifted scorer, but he's really thin. And it's like, okay, yeah, now he's one of the best players to ever play basketball. And I'm not – also, let's stop comparing Durant and Holmgren because that one's getting a little – out of control too. 
Um, yeah, side note, whenever someone uh, that is one of my good friends that isn't a diehard basketball fan and texts me and is like, you know, I think Chet's, you know, he couldn't end up Durant. I'm like, oh my gosh, bud. I was like, please stay in your lane. So, um, no, but uh, it's just the, the too skinny factor really drives me crazy. Um, I get it with Chet, but it's like you can go back and Giannis, Durant, there's there's a lot of guys like that. Um, shout out Poku as another one. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> say that with a straight face, but is it bothering you yet? Is, is it driving you crazy? Because it's, it's, it's almost seeming like a Freddy Krueger nightmare um, for the next couple of weeks because it, it's just building quick, and I'm tired of hearing it over and over and over again. Yeah, and my my biggest issue with it is that it's just lazy. And yes. it's the only argument I ever hear. And it's like, okay, well, why why don't you tear apart okay, well, he's not really this go-to score, or you know, he can't he struggles to consistently create his own shot, or is the shooting real or not? Like, give me something other than you looking at Google images for five seconds and be like, mm, skinny. Because right. and hand up when I've you know, the last however many years I've been doing the draft guide, I, I put down, you know, skinnier needs to get stronger, add strength as weaknesses, because in this moment they are, but they're not detriments. They're not things that are, okay, he's done because of this. It's, he's a teenager. Teenagers are skinny when they play that much sports over and over on a daily basis. And as they get older, their body's going to mature and they need to get stronger. Now, in some cases, they don't necessarily, and it will hurt them. But I always go under the assumption that, hey, this teenager is going to get stronger because almost every teenager in the history of humankind has. So the fact that it's the only argument that I consistently see is really irritating. And whenever someone comes at me with that, I'm just like, oh, okay, whatever. Like, you, you, you already made up your mind. You have no actual analysis of him as a player. And all you want to say is, mm, can't guard the biggest centers in the league. It's like, okay, but also, is he really going to be asked to? And I'm not sure he will. Right. And, and I think this would be a really fun exercise for the entire scouting community. Like anyone that's trying to improve themselves as a draft evaluator. Like when you're watching Chet, don't even mention it. Like just everyone that is going to fill out a strengths and weaknesses, like, you know, I've done draft guides too. It's the first thing we're going to write. The first weakness we're going to write is like needs to add frame, needs to add muscle, needs to add weight. Just don't even do it. Like when you're watching him, find something else. What is the first thing when you're watching Chet besides the obvious that is his weakness in your mind? Like, is it the creation? Is it the offensive side of the ball? Does he need to do something better defensively? Like challenge yourself like that because everyone knows what it is. So find something else and then go off of that. I would love to hear someone else say something yes. different. Like, hey, you know, I, I'm still worried. I feel like someone brought it up and I was like, that's a good point. Like someone was like, I feel like it wasn't used properly in the half court offense. Do you think maybe there's like some more offensive upside that isn't there? And I was like, great. I would love like, to talk oh, like you about watched that the game. Awesome. Yes, like you actually cared and didn't just focus on the frame. So I, I think that would be like a really good evaluation tool for anyone listening like find something else like everyone's going to talk about that so go find something else challenge yourself like chet is not a perfect prospect we all know that but everyone wants to talk about the same thing there's other weaknesses there's other glaring holes in his game that he needs to work on find it run with that because every single scouting report is going to have the same first sentence under weakness like we all know what it's going to be. So find something else and then focus on that because it's, it's obvious. We're going to hear it 5 million times over the next two months. And what makes me even like less worried about it is that he's a tough motherfucker. Like yes. this dude is not skinny. You're like, yes, he gets pushed around, but it's not because he's afraid of contact. It's not because he's conceding ground willingly. It's because he's just skinny, but he fights back every single time and he battles on defense his length and ball location and timing is absurd and he goes into every battle knowing that those guys are going to come at him physically and try to move him and try to dominate him and he's completely unfazed additionally on offense he's not trying to back guys down and overpower them he's leveraging you know where they're leaning where they're pressuring his body and he's spinning off that he's 
you know, beating them with his speed and length and stuff like that. So it's not that he's skinny and trying to be a powerful big man. It's he's skinny. He knows he's skinny and he's tough as hell. The the best part was less than 10 minutes into this episode about being on boiling points. We got Metcalf to swear. So this episode is <laughs> going to be one of my favorite ones of all time. But to go off of that point, that's really important. I think I said it on here, or I might've said it on draft deeper with Nathan. I said, going into this year with Chet, I said, the most interesting thing in my opinion is if his frame holds up an entire season with no injuries, like he doesn't miss any time, that's going to be the most telling thing to me because you see how competitive he is. You see how mm-hmm. much he gets knocked down. You see all that stuff. Like I get it. I, I've seen it on film too. And he, but pops he gets up immediately. Up. He he's, gets he's not up nursing anything. And, no. Yeah. He gets up. He's bringing it every single play. Like he gets thrown on the ground a lot. I understand. I understand that he needs to have a better balance or whatever you, you know, specific shit you want to call it. But he gets up. He's still competitive every time. Like his frame held up the whole year. Like he still was healthy. He didn't miss uh, an extended amount of time. Like if that was happening and he was like, oh, it chats out for two to four weeks, I would have been like, oh boy, I don't know. But he's still coming at people. So, I mean, like this guy was getting banged on every single game against physical, bigger guys the whole year. Like every single player saw the same thing that, you know, all of us are watching on TV. They, they stood up next to him. And they're like, I'm going to out bully this guy all game. Chet knew it. He invited it. Like, that's what I'm saying. There's, there's being skinny and like shying away from content mm-hmm. or contact, but Chet welcomed it and, and Chet kept going. And every time he got knocked down, he popped right back up. So he was still making an impact with that less frame. What if this guy fills out? What if this, I'm not saying like he's going to pull a Giannis and put on 50 pounds right. of muscle, but you know, if you, you put some good weight on him, like my goodness. So um, I get it. it it's going to keep being a storyline that's pushed forward, but it is definitely something that's making my blood boil. So what about you, Metcalf? I, I went on a big enough rant. Um, now, now I'm actually, this might've been a bad idea because now I'm yeah. heated. Now I'm ready to go. Yeah. We're, we're, we're 11 minutes, 12 minutes in and I, I'm already a little fired up and we've barely just started. <laughs> it's better um, coffee. <laughs> All right, so my first one is about my sweet prince, Johnny Davis, and mm-hmm. everyone continuing to tell me that his scoring won't translate to the NBA. Why? Um, I don't know. He, so, yes, he's not this prolific three-point shooter. How many, soft, un, how many college underclassmen are? It's very rare. Uh, that's usually a skill that doesn't develop until a little later um, in a player's career. Uh, yes, there are obviously outliers. So don't throw me the three names that have been awesome. Three point shooters as sophomores. Um, but he's extremely physical. His offensive footwork is absurd. He gets to his spots with ease. He draws a fuck ton of fouls. He scores in the mid range where every top NBA scorer scores and thrives i'm not saying he's going to be a top nba scorer um he's he has a lot of craft at the rim he's got really good balance change of pace and since day one one of the the two guys that i keep comparing him to are donovan mitchell and brandon roy those were absurd and are absurd nba players and scorers so i get those are lofty expectations but and also you know fully acknowledge that things could go a different direction. But when you look at what Johnny Davis did this year as a sophomore and compare it to what Donovan Mitchell and Brandon Roy did as sophomores, it's kind of shocking. So bear with me as I run through some, a a series of numbers here. Um, So points per game, Johnny Davis, 19.7, Mitchell, 15.6, Brandon Roy, 12.9. Shooting splits, Johnny was 43, 31, 79. Donovan, 41, 35, 81. Brandon Roy, 48, 22, 79. Attempts, 15, Johnny was 15.9 from the floor, 3.9 from three, 6.3 from the line. Donovan, 13.1, 6.6, 3.2. Brandon, 9.7.9 True shooting percentages. Johnny Davis 52.3, Donovan 53.4, Roy 54.9. Effective field goal percentage. Johnny 46.4, Donovan 49.8, Brandon 
49. Free throw rate, Johnny, 39.8. Mitchell, 24.3. Roy, 45. Uh, points per possession. Overall, uh, Johnny Davis was 0.924. Donovan Mitchell, 0.947. Synergy didn't have these for Brandon Roy. Um, in the mid-range, Johnny, 0.922. Mitchell 0.759 at the rim. Johnny 1.201. Donovan 1.023. Shooting off the catch. Johnny 1.111. Donovan 1.125. Sorry, that was a lot of numbers. If you you rewind. Everyone is literally a beautiful mind right now, just writing numbers on like a window, basically slash pulling a goodwill hunting with writing the chalkboard right now with what you just wrote out i love it though because yeah. i can tell how passionate you are about it well yeah so if you're still with me if i didn't put you to sleep thank you um for the t- too long didn't read version the variance between those three guys is minimal they they play in very similar ways it translates it translated for mitchell it translated for roy and i have zero doubt that it's going to translate for davis when it comes to Davis, the the argument I keep seeing, it's similar to Jet to Chet. It's people look at the box score, see the three-point percentage, and move on. Cause and it's well, not not a prolific shooter. It's like, well, okay, but look at what look at his situation. How did he get his shots? What type of defenses was he facing? What type of role was he given? What were the shots that he was asked to take? And when you really go through and dive through his film, yes, it would be great if the three-point percentage was a little better. But the amount of times that he had to bail that crap Wisconsin team out was absurd. And he had to put up obscene usage for who he is as a player to make them exceed expectations by a mile. I have I have two guys that I think Johnny reminds me of in the NBA. So I'm going to throw some numbers back at you and we're going to put you on the spot. You're going to play a, a guessing game, okay? Yep. All right. So these are numbers from their college seasons. Um, the first one, we'll call it player A, 13.9 points, 5.7 rebounds, 1.5 assists, field goal percentage, 52.3, three-point percentage, 16.7. Any guesses? What was that three-point percentage? 16.7. I have, I have no clue. That would be Chicago Bulls wing DeMar DeRozan. Okay, this is my other one that I, I actually really think Johnny reminds me of. A little shorter version, but um, this is his sophomore year. 14.3 points, 5.2 rebounds, 2.8 assists, 45% from the field, and 36% from three. It would be Milwaukee Bucks wing Chris Middleton. And Middleton's numbers last year, his uh, junior year, were much lower, but he got hurt, so I believe so, if I'm incorrect. I think he got hurt, though. Um, but anyways, this is my point, is this is really – this isn't just about Johnny um, because I think this ties into a really important co- like conversation of obsessing with the three-point percentage which drives me a little crazy because, you know, there's guys like um, Jaden Hardy, who I'm a really big fan of that um, people just like to say, well, he's supposed to be this lethal shooter. How come he shot such a bad percentage? And it's like, you have to take the situation into hand. Now, Johnny Davis, if you've watched Wisconsin this year, I'm sorry for all the Badger faithful listening to us. Johnny was carrying that team and you could see it on a nightly basis and their offense was brutal sometimes like his offensive versatility is really, really impressive to me. And I think everyone's obsessing with the three point percentage. Like it's not like his outside shot is just this horrendous looking thing. It's just the a guy that understands how to work to get to his spots. Like, we're fascinated with the modern NBA becoming this three-point heavy era that like every time we find a mid-range assassin, we're like, ugh, why would anyone want him? And it's like, are you kidding me? Like, look at right. him. Like, he, he's a fantastic basketball player that really gets after it offensively. And like, now I'm going on a rant about Johnny, so see what you did. But I think he's one of the more underrated defenders in this class. So mm-hmm. um, I think three-point percentage can improve. I definitely think like 
a lot of people overreact and freak out about it. There's guys obviously that, you know, struggle with their outside shot because it's a lot of fundamentals and stuff, but I don't see Johnny as like this guy that's never going to ever improve on his outside shot. Um, guys are all of a sudden going to be put into an NBA gym where they just have to come to the gym to work and, and they're going to take thousands and thousands of shots like every single week. And, and they're going to be getting with shooting coach, developmental coaches. Like Johnny understands now how to play to his strengths. So he lives in that mid range because he knows like, Hey, I could take two dribbles, be patient, get to the side, pull up from the elbow. That's a high percentage shot for me, but we just want him to de- pull from three from five feet beyond the arc because we're watching Steph Curry and Durant and guys like that these days. And it's like, you don't have to do that. But, um, you know, the analytics freaks will tell you like, and I used to be one of them. So I understand every analytic guy. So, um, they'll just say like, well, the mid range is a bad shot. And it's like, well, he's wide open and he's taken and he can hit it at a high clip. Like, give me that. I don't care. So yeah, I'm with you. I get it. And yeah, now I'm frustrated. <laughs> well, and just to kind of further support Johnny here, I guess. Um, it's like the it's like what he did this year. People are treating what he did le- this year as what he did last year too. And completely ignoring that his usage jumped from 17.9 to 32.5. That his points per game jumped from 7 to 19.7. This dude took on a completely different role. And for some reason, the 38.9% from three that he shot on about one and a half attempts per game last year means nothing. It's only the 32 or the 31% on significantly higher volume and in a, in a bunch of different ways. I don't think in the NBA, Johnny's going to be this number one scoring option, but when he's used as, this off ball guy who can, who's proved all season that he can knock down shots off the catch and that he can attack closeouts and get into the mid range or finish at the basket and do stuff like that. I I just, I don't really understand the arguments against him as a number two or number three scoring option. I, I think what he showed this year was versatile. It was completely unexpected by 99.9% of the basketball community. And it was dominant for the entire season. And I don't want to hear any bullshit about how inefficient he was these last couple games, because if you watch those and then compare that to what he was earlier in the season, this dude was nowhere near healthy, but he's a dog and he played through it and he wanted to play for his guys and he wanted to win. It just didn't work out. So, whew, okay. My, my no. blood is boiling. Oh, no, sorry, no, no, because it's a good one because um, it's important that you're bringing this up because for everyone listening, like usually when a guy takes on a heavier load, um, it's really hard for them to like improve their percentages. Like obviously, if you're thinking about it, like you're you're getting you're you're getting called upon to do way way more. You're probably not going to be able to do it as efficient. So he had 6.3 field goal attempts as a rook, as a freshman, as a rookie, as a freshman, <laughs> and he shot 44% from the field. He almost tripled his field goal attempts this year. That's how much Wisconsin was like, Johnny, help us. He averaged 15.9 field goal attempts and shot 42.7%. Like almost tripled. <laughs> That is insane amount of like increase in usage and, and shot attempts and, um, you know, 3.9 three-point attempts. So that just tells you how much he was getting to the basket or, or living around the mid-range. So um, it, it really is important. And, you know, I hinted about Jane Hardy earlier. It's like these guys have to figure out the situation. Like the environment and what they're dealing with is everything. You have to take into consideration that. Like Jane Hardy was a – standout high school guy with no other level of competition. Like he didn't get to go play FIBA overseas, like Johnny Davis and these guys that that thrived over there. And then all of a sudden he's thrown to grown men in the G league. And it's like, you have to weigh that into all of this. Like, yes, lethal shooter didn't shoot the percentage. We were all hoping, but go look at the progress throughout the year. Like same with Johnny, everyone's going to be overreacting to kind of how he ended the year. When did he get, hurt specifically Metcalf do you remember what game uh, it was oh it was Nebraska the, 
the the scary one was Nebraska. I think he tweaked his ankle. It was either right after that game or right before it. But the, was the, it, the real the real scare with his knee was Nebraska. Was that the last game of the year? Yeah. Yeah. So right before then, was it Maryland? So right before then, his last seven games, he was averaging nineteen eight and shooting fifty one percent from the field. 25% from three, of course, because of this argument. And then <laughs> after he gets hurt, after he gets hurt, he's shooting 32% from the field and everyone's going to freak out about that. But he's literally like, he got hurt multiple times. He got hurt and then got hurt again in the tournaments, like on the same ankle. So I don't know. I'm, I'm with you. I, I think the three point percentage, um, I know we're talking about Johnny, but I really do think the three point percentage like conversation really ties into this of like, don't overreact about guys that don't put up a, a strong year of, you know, high usage. And all of a sudden it's like, well, they can't shoot because they shot a low percentage. It's like, no, we fascinate with box scores and stats too much. Look at, you know, sample sizes over stretches. Like if they showed a, a solid stretch of games where you can see the upside, that's where you really want to um, believe in and, and take that on. And Johnny's shown that he can hit the outside shot. It's not like he never, ever had a good game shooting from deep. Like, mm-hmm. he's going to be fine. He's he's a weapon. But yeah. All right, moving on. What, oh, what's gosh. your next one? Um, I hate when people say they're too old. I, I, I can't stand it. I'm, I'm done with it. I, I, I'm sick and tired of it. I'm going to bat for upperclassmen. I've, already, I've always said I was going to. And this is my moment. And it's not just upperclassmen. It, it's just the idea that like a guy doesn't have upside because of his age. And, and it's just like Keegan Murray's my guy. I, I absolutely love him. Everything I've watched on the, on the court this year, I've, I've been absolutely in love. Every time I watch him, I find something new that I just like, yes, whoever wants this guy, go get him. Um, someone called me out on YouTube early in the year when I mocked him fifth to Indiana. Now everyone's doing it. I'm not saying I have a crystal ball, but you know, you're also not saying that you don't. So yeah. I'm just saying, you know, like give me some fucking respect, but no, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm serious. Um, I just think like, that's a guy like production. You can only ignore production for so long. And then you have to throw the age number like out the window. Now, I'm not saying if a guy was 25 years old as a rookie, you wouldn't look bad about that. I understand that. Like Chris Duarte was a, a really rare situation where it was a 24 year old rookie that went in the lottery that just looked like a guy that was going to get it right away. And it was very, you know, if, if Duarte was two years younger, he might've been a top 10 pick, but Everyone's talking about Keegan Murray, and the first thing, it's like Chet was too skinny. Keegan Murray is, well, he's too old for for a top 10 pick. And it's like, why is he too old for a top 10 pick? Just because he's more, you know, has this veteran feel. He might be more mature. He might be more ready to kind of get a shit storm thrown at him. Like, he might be able to handle that a little bit better. So I just don't get understand that. Ochai Abaji is another guy that me and you have been very high on throughout the year that people are like, well, he's old. Like they don't need this old wing to come in and help the team. And it's like, yes, they do. Every team needs a guy like that. So um, I don't know. I, I just get annoyed with the idea that like you have to draft a 19 year old or an 18 year old with all this crazy upside. And I've said it before, like when you swing for the fences, you find yourself striking out and getting in trouble. Sometimes if you swing for those singles, those doubles, and I know I'm cross-referencing sports right now, but those are the ones that move the needle forward. Those are the ones that help your team get better, and those are the ones that get you out of the lottery. And and I just really do think, like, we fascinate with age. We fascinate with guys, like, not being 19 and and looking like, oh, my gosh, they're going to be a potential superstar. It's like, what if you got a starter for 10 years from a guy that's 21 as a rookie? Like, we would all be signing up for that. Um, you know, there was an era in which Michael Jordan played three years of college basketball before declaring. Oh, for the really sound old. <laughs> I, did, I wrote about him today. So I had, to, <laughs> I had to literally drop that in off the top of my head. Go ahead. Metcalf. Yeah, no, so I, I think, I, I think this one's a little trickier because. Yeah. I because, agree. Yeah. And I, I always struggle to factor it in too, because. It, it really changes for me at different points in the draft. 
hundred percent. Yes. In that top three, I know my team is dog shit, and I'm taking that home run swing. And yes. I'm probably not getting that out of a twenty-one year old, twenty-two year old, where I could get it out of this eighteen year eighteen year old. Um, as we move on, you know, the that range always kind of differs depending on the draft class every year. But this year, like with Keegan, I you know I'm a little lower on him than you, but I, mean, I still have him easily top ten lock for sure and if you went five it wouldn't shock me it wouldn't stun me it wouldn't upset me um i think there are guys at that spot that still have higher upside but like you said he's you know that you're getting a really good ball player and we so frequently with the draft and you know pretty much everything else in life we get so enamored by the the what could be and the right, grass right. is so rarely greener on the other side. And when you do take these younger kits, yes, that ceiling is probably higher at that point. But as they age, that window shrinks significantly by the you know by the day. And that window of possible outcomes with these older guys, it is smaller, but it's also more sure. It's more known. And depending where you are at as a team, that's where the you know the argument really comes into play i think i I think the most fascinating age argument in this year's draft i I think keegan's a good one but the the kind of apples to apples one that i i keep getting fascinated by is jalen duran versus mark williams where here we go like if 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 i needed to if i wanted to make my team better this year i'm probably taking mark williams because i think mark williams is the most nba ready center in this class and will contribute from day one and be a long-time starter or at least a long-term you know legit awesome backup center i think duran has a significantly higher upside so please don't get it twisted listeners i i i, I would take jalen duran over mark williams but you know that that's where the the kind of disparity comes into play and that's where i usually use age as more of a tiebreaker than uh than than like a determinant on where i'm gonna list a guy because i i don't see a guy at 21 and automatically move him somewhere you know it's okay well i like these guys about the same now i'm gonna move this guy a little ahead because he's however much younger so that that's kind of where i fall at with the age i think I couldn't agree with you more. Like, I know I went on that rant about all this and, and um, I'm, I'm fired up about it, but I couldn't agree with you more because it really does come down to the team comes down to the situation with the team. It comes down to everything when it comes to like the age and, and rolling the dice on um, swinging the fences, like you're, you're stating, but you know, I brought this up for the listeners. I think this is, this is a fun little mind buster to think about i brought this up to the no ceilings crew today in our in our group chat i was like you know we saw i think wasserman with bleach report had a recent mock of like okc taking Jaden ivy and i was like this isn't saying Jaden ivy isn't worthy of a top four pick but i just said you know presti i said what if presti's the 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 wild madman you know because he took josh giddy none of us were expecting it last year and i just said like you know they've got SGA, they've got Josh Giddy. Trey Mann looks like he's about to be a star there too. Yes, sir. He's been fantastic. And I said, why are we convinced that he would take Ivy? And, and the first comment was very, like the first response I think was from Nathan. He was like, you know, like they'd still be taking the best player. And, and I was like, yeah, I agree. But wouldn't Presti maybe be a little bit of a wild card? I was like, what if Presti left the draft with his first two picks of Keegan Murray and Mark Williams? I said, do you think that would really like push the needle forward to get two front court, like really smart players around SGA, Giddy, Trey Mann? Like that, I said, that's a nice core to roll with. And I said, we also went back and forth and I was like, they could take AJ Griffin. They could go a lot of different routes in that. I was like, Ivy, absolutely. Like he's probably the best player on the board. But I said, they also could go Jalen Durant and then all of a sudden add, you know, EJ Liddell. So I was just saying like, it depends on the situation, obviously. OKC could be in a spot where it's like, we have all this backcourt depth. Do we really want to add another raw swing for the fence with like a Jalen Duren, which he could be a dangerous, dangerous player, like I'm in a good mm-hmm. way. And where I was like, well, what if Presti was like, hey, I, 
I got the firepower now. I need to get me some stable, high floor guys. Like, get me a Keegan Murray that knows how to play with these guys. Like, give me a Mark Williams that'll go, do a really good job around the basket, like, defending. So, um, like you said, like, I think we fascinate with age, but it does always come down to the situation. Like, if another team was on that board and it wasn't OKC, they might be saying, like, we'll take Jaden Ivey, you know, but – um, now I'm, I'm throwing puzzles and I'm getting all over the place. Cause I'm just completely pumped up and rattled for this segment. See, this is boiling points. Cause now we've, <laughs> we've lost control of our emotions. All right. Um, so uh, I'll move on to my next one and I get really irritated when people criticize or, you know, diminish a player without factoring in what, their NBA role will be. And, um, you know, so kind of how I mentioned with Chet and the draft guys, you know, I, I, I always write down if as a weakness, if a guy is too skinny, but I don't, you know, sell him off because of that. It's a weakness. Now could be a strength tomorrow type thing. And improvement areas. Yeah. Improvement. Yeah, exactly. But what I don't do is, knock guys for skills that they'll never be asked to utilize. Like I wouldn't look at Mark Williams and be like, bad space creator. Nope. Trash. And some of the ones that I'm seeing this year, a lot are Otrag Baji sucks in the mid range. Is he really that good? It's like, is he really ever going to be asked to create or shoot a whole lot in the mid range? And he's one of those, you know, I know we just went on a tangent with Johnny Davis about how much we love the mid-range and how valuable it is. And it, it would be a good skill for him to develop, but he's going to be used mostly as an off-ball wing. And the shot, I I fully buy in on. I think it's going to be fine at the next level. And then that combined with his ability to get to the rim, I think that's enough for what he's going to be asked to do and what he's going to need to do. Another example is Patrick Baldwin. And everyone, and he's just tumbled down draft boards. I get it. This year sucked for him. But I keep seeing, mm, couldn't dominate the offense. It he, He's not the number one guy. It's like, okay, yeah. So he's not the number one guy. But if he's the number two guy or the number three guy, how lethal is he? And how many drafts do we actually get a legit number one guy? I don't think he's ever going to be asked to be a number one guy, at least not during his first contract. But if you look at him and that shooting and the the passing and the team defense as what if he's a third or fourth starter, how does that change your view of him? And for me, it changes significantly. If I, if a team drafts him and is like, all right, you're Paul George now. It's like, okay, well, this is going to go horribly. And we already saw it go horribly in the horizon league. So why would it be any better in the NBA? But in that off-ball role where he's just asked to knock down open shots or make the extra pass and do those little things, then I think he's a really valuable player, especially at his size. And then just the final one, we we kind of touched on it earlier, but Jane Hardy being inefficient, and that just completely ignores all context of his situation, what they used him as, what they asked him to do, uh, his jump straight from high school without FIBA or really any high-level competition uh, prior to the G League and going straight against grown men who are trying to play their way into the league. So, yeah. The Baldwin one's really interesting that you brought up because it, it, you know, I don't want people to go too crazy with listening to us. Like these guys are maniacs. It's like, no, we're venting out some frustration or thoughts. It's not like we're going to write like a, you know, (laughs) article for the athletic about this or something. Cause we'd rather post it on no ceiling. Shout out no ceilings. Shameless plug. It's free. But yeah, it's free also. Um, but the, the Baldwin one's really interesting because I do think a lot of people do this is you write a guy off as one skill while ignoring or while not opening the other door for another, you know, avenue to happen. So it's like, yeah, Baldwin wasn't the guy Baldwin couldn't be the shifty handle guy that was like creating as much as humanly possible. We get it. But what if he never tried that out? Like, say say he went to Duke and played alongside all those guys, and he was putting up A.J. Griffin's numbers where he was shooting 45% from three and averaging, like, 10 points on the year. And now the 10 points would have been like, oh, he's only averaging 10 points. But we would also would have been like, oh, 
this guy goes and just has like more of a leash and more volume. We, this would be unbelievable. So that's why I'm, I think a lot of us at no ceilings, you know, we, I think we had them 13 or 11th on our latest big board. And I think we're still going to probably end up having Mm -hmm. a lot higher than the mainstream guys, because I think we're all just still buying into the idea of like, you know, just because we're going to have him up there doesn't mean he won't fall in the draft, but we're saying if he falls into the right place, where they don't want him to be like, here's the ball, go take care of it, which an NBA team is probably not going to because he's right. going to be a rookie that just had a nightmare year. I still think Baldwin could be a, a heck of a get as a complimentary piece. Like he's yep. shown playmaking. He's shown all this stuff that, you know, if he all of a sudden plays with better pieces around him and more spacing and, and isn't told like, please, please carry us. You might be like, this is awesome. I have all this confidence now. Where was this before? So, and then the Hardy thing, like I could talk for four hours about it, but I'm not going to. It's like, and we, we will at a future date. Yeah, we will at a future date. But it's just like, everyone has to remember that the G League is on purpose putting those guys in roles to develop their game for the NBA. So Hardy was all of a sudden thrusted into this, like, hey, here's the ball. You need to run the offense be a playmaker, figure out your reads. Hell yeah, he struggled in the beginning of the year because he was always used to playing off the ball. So he showed strides throughout the year. What if his next team says, hey, we're going we're gonna to put you back at your strength. We're going to play you off the ball. We just want you to move around and, and create shots off the, off the catch, like movement shooting. He might be like, this is fucking awesome. I love this. Like, I'm free. This is great. But he developed a weakness or an improvement area of his game. So now it's going to be able to at least like stick or, you know, survive at the next level. Because if he didn't and he didn't train that and develop that, then throwing him to the wolves. So um, yeah, I'm right there with you. I I completely agree. All right. What's your last one? Oh gosh. I need another one. (laughs) Um. I've talked too much about the G League. Not yeah, and it, we'll definitely have have a at least one more deep dive episode with those guys in in the f- future here. Yeah, I, I, we're definitely going, and I'll probably figure out a couple of guests to come on for that or stuff. You know, let's just stay with this because we're having fun. You can always find a center later. Is one of mm. my draft boiling points that bugs me because I I do say like yeah I understand the thought process I understand everyone being like well we you could just find that a rotational big and free agency and it's like why wouldn't you go get one like if he's on the board and he's good why wouldn't you go? like Mark Williams is me and you have been pushing that train all year I still think Mark Williams is a lottery pick I I just think this is a guy that like everyone's like well why couldn't I just go get you know Christian Coloco or something like potentially in the second round. And I love Christian Coloco. So everyone's saying that calm down, like respect Christian Coloco. But I also think like Mark Williams is more ready for the NBA than Christian Coloco right now. And Mark Williams is showing everyone what he can do. I mean, he, he's been absolutely sensational. I know Paulo Bencaro has been awesome, but Mark Williams is right there. I don't know if they're moving on without Mark Williams and Nope. He's been sensational. He looks like he's going to be like this low maintenance guy that just be like, Hey, I know what you want me to do. You want me to block everything that goes in the air and rebound the shit out of the ball and dunk everything in sight. Perfect. Let's take him. Like, why not? Um, of course, this is going to be the Memphis Grizzlies taking him because that's just what they're going to do. They're going to take all the guys we want. So I think it's a real fine line where it's like, Oh, we can always find a center later. And it's like, yeah, but the later you wait, the, maybe the less impactful you might get. Um, You know, everyone's been kind of arguing throughout the year about like Walker Kessler versus Mark Williams. I understand the upside and the idea with Walker Kessler, like the offensive upside is something that everyone seems to kind of be attaching to, but I just think Mark Williams is going to be a heck of a center for a long time in the NBA. And and I'm not saying he's going to be like this, you know, six-time all-star i'm just saying this dude might play a long time and do exactly what a team needs him to do like I mean we've talked before like imagine if milwaukee drafted mark williams somehow or, or a team like that where it's just like yes let's add another lethal you know lengthy big that understands his role and um 
So yeah, that's just a, I guess that's a draft boiling point that bugs me because I'm a mm-hmm. big believer of like GYG, go get your guy. And, and if you need a center that could really help you right away, like don't wait, just go get him. Like, and I think Mark Williams could be that guy. I, I love that you brought this kind of draft philosophy one up because historically that's who I've been as an evaluator and someone like who's put together draft guides and stuff. The And I, I've definitely undervalued the center position because the NBA has been a predominantly perimeter oriented league for the, you know, the recent history. And, but my, my thought process has always been for me to take a center in the top 10, they've got to be, you know, have franchise center potential. And, you know, since I started doing this, you know, one of the first ones that I did was the Luca draft. And, you know, I I had Aiden up there. So I, I also had Mobley up there. So it's not like I'm completely avoiding centers in the top 10. I just have to see so much potential for them to be there. And a lot of that varies on how the rest of the draft class looks where, this year, it the the center talent is really absurd this year. Yeah. And I have three centers in my lottery, and that's absurd. And I'm right there with you on Mark Williams. And in the past, I've been one of these people that's really overthought, oh, well, you can just go get a replacement level rim runner, rim protector on the free agent market, or, for, you know, get, get, get a guy on the vet minimum, get a UDFA. And yeah, you kind of can, but, you know, that, that talent gap between – a late lottery pick and a UDFA is still so substantial. And the, the, what you're missing out on, if that's what you need, or if that's the best player available, it's a significant change in talent and change in player, not to, you know, diminish what, you know, those other guys do, but there's a reason some of these guys are lottery picks. So I'm right there with you. It's, it's a draft philosophy that I'm slowly kind of coming around to Uh, still not all the way there, but so much of it for me is what does, you know, what does this whole draft class look like um, in its entirety? And for this year, it's like, yeah, no, like it feels right to have five or six centers in the first round because that's how good the center class is. Yeah. I, I, it's just one of those things that always bugs me and it doesn't always have to be centers. It, It could be just another position, but I always think like, there's this idea of like, oh, I can just wait till later. And it's like, well, if you go look, like, I know there's a lot of drafts that have like these second round picks that just hit to be gold. That doesn't happen a lot. Like if you right. go look at back at the old historic drafts, you're going to get to the second round and see a lot of names. You're like, who? Like it, it is just sometimes it's teams that are just throwing away picks or guys that just don't work out. So I always say like, if you need a guy, go get him. Like, go get your guy. If you're in love with a guy, you're an NBA team, and, you know, maybe you're picking 17th, and that guy you don't think is going to get past the the lottery, like, go get him. If you believe in him and you love him, if some team picking 17th or something is, is in love with Mark Williams, like, they should go get him. Like, go trade up to go get your guy. So, um, you know, I, that's just me being one of those guys of, like, well, I could just wait till later. And it's like, well – those free agent bigs everyone talks about, like there's a reason there's a free agent and there's other, there's the entire NBA is probably thinking that they're going to try to get him too. So you're going to be bidding against that. So that's just a gamble you don't want to take. So um, Metcalf, you got one more, right? Hit me with it. Yeah, I do. So it is the year 2022 and I am astonished that we are still using assist and turnover averages to judge a prospect's playmaking ability. Um, I, I, I don't even know if I'm mad. I'm just stunned. I'm numb to this because it's like, people don't realize that an assist is a two person stat that the, you could make the world's greatest pass in the history of man. But if your teammate misses the layup, okay, well, there, there there's nothing there. Uh, you know, Taryn Armstrong has decent assist numbers. Uh, go look at his tape. That's com- He should be having 12 assists a game. <laughs> Um, Johnny Davis, much better passer than he's given credit for, but mm, assist to turnover ratio isn't super impressive. Alondis Williams, is he really that accurate of a passer? He has a lot of turnovers. It's like, yeah, because he's fucking moving the ball everywhere. Kate Cunningham, can he really run an offense? Is oh, he a gosh. good passer? Well, when the rest of his team shoots 
28% from three and he's getting triple teamed on every possession, he's going to have a few turnovers. So the fact that we're just using these raw numbers and it's not even advanced, like impressive numbers, it's simple box score averages as the end all be all stat of how good is this person as a passer just blows my mind. And just as I'm talking through this, I'm I'm really realizing that a common theme through most of these topics tonight is context fucking matters. Yeah. Like, there it is. Let it out. If you got hate in your heart, let it out. See, we're having therapy. I love this. Like th- there is nuance. There is context. Not every assist, not every basket, not every shot is created equal. Watch, please watch the tape. Or if you don't have time to, that's fine. But look at more, go look at a highlight tape or something. Read an article. Don't just look at a box score and be like, ah, two, two assists to four turnovers. He sucks. <laughs> 195 pounds, too skinny. Can't do it. 32% from three. Bomb. Can't play in yeah. today's NBA. It's, it's, just mind blowing. I I know everyone will out there will say like, no, that doesn't work. But I've always joked and wanted to have like a, you know how it's like ball don't lie. I wanted to do like tape don't lie because the tape does lie sometimes. <laughs> but, um, but what I'm saying is like the, the Cade, the K point you brought up is Absurd. the biggest part of this because, you know, as I always say, sorry to every uh, Oklahoma State player that played with Cade that's listening to this. Yeah, um, That's my favorite joke. I'm never going to let it die. <laughs> but watching Cade as a prospect when he was at Oklahoma State was incredible. Some of <laughs> yes. the shots his teammates would miss, and they weren't even close. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy is should have way more assists, and it's just – Horrible to watch. He he ended up averaging like three point five, yeah, three point five assists, um, twenty point one points, six point two rebounds, three point five assists at Oklahoma State, and now he's up to five point six assists in his rookie season. But there was so many people that reached out to me that was like, "Well, you know, his assist numbers are low, so I don't know if he's worthy of a number one pick." And I was like, "You have to watch the film. You can't go off box scores. Like, you have to watch." Or you do, hit. or if you even if you are just going off box scores, look at everyone else's box score. Look at look at the thirty eight percent from the field. Look at the twenty two percent from three. Like Cade's not the only one who had numbers there. Like there are other people, and I'm not trying to shit on his teammates because they defended really hard. They're good athletes. I'm sure they're great kids, but they could not shoot for shit. It it was the same thing with your boy Anthony Edwards out of college. Yeah. Everyone was like. I watched one game, I forgot who it was, but I was at a bar and I was like waiting to pick up someone at the airport and I was watching it because I was like, oh, I want to watch Anthony Edwards as much as I possibly can. And I watched one game that he played and he hit like four guys in a corner, skip pass, like driving dash or driving kick yeah. wide open. Like no one was in within, you know, 5,000 miles of this guy shooting a shot. And he like air ball, one of them hit the side of the backboard. Um Perfect. Yeah, so again, sorry to any Georgia players listening to this. But it's just, you have to take in the situation. It's like what we talked about earlier, like the situation matters with everything. Because all of a sudden now these guys are going to be like, you're you're fascinating about these low assist numbers. These guys are going to go to a, a, the next level where they have better talent around them, better shooters. So yeah, it's not going to be surprising if all of a sudden you're, you're fascinating about low assist numbers and then they're going to go play with better talent and, and those are going to climb in a hurry. Um, you know, like fucking AJ Griffin's averaging one assist a game. Are we freaking out about AJ Griffin because of his assist numbers? Like, no, it's the situation. He's playing with a lot of talented pieces. He doesn't get the ball in his hands all the time. It just happens. And, and I know like now I'm talking about wings and different positions than ball handlers, but um, the assist to turnover always is really a funny argument when people bring that up because I'm like, I get it, but come on. Like, do we have to fascinate about that only? Um, and it, it goes into the three-point percentage. Like, if a guy has a high assisted turnover ratio and I've watched the film and I can see that he's making some awful passes, yeah, I'm going to be the first guy that's like, hey, his he really is loose with the ball. He's careless. Yeah. Like, he throws it all over the place. But someone just pointing out and being like, well, his assisted turnover isn't that great. So it's like, did you watch? Or are you just looking at the numbers and trying to, you know, 
make yourself look a little taller. So, um, kindly reminder that everyone listening, I love you and I will never <laughs> ever get mad at you on the internet. Unlike some other people are out there, but I just can't stand the negativity. And that's why we're, we're, we're letting out the frustration because the next three months are about to be nuclear war uh, when it comes to emotion. So yeah, that's, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. I, I hope we didn't come across as holier than thou and lo- look at all the tape we watched. Cause that, that wasn't the point. It was, right. you know, don't, don't just hone in on the numbers. And I, I'm a big proponent of numbers. I think they can tell you a lot. They're a great place to start, but if you, don't pair them with the film. If you don't pair the film with the numbers, it, it's all a blend. There's context, there's nuance. <sighs> but God, I I feel better already. The, the, it, this was the, this was needed. Whew. It's therapeutic. Like anyone listening to, like you're gonna have time where you're struggling with what you're seeing every single day, or the same exact narrative being thrown around. So you know, message me and Metcalf. We could talk it out. Maybe Absolutely. we start having a hotline for everyone to call and we <laughs> we take messages. That would be perfect. Well, Rucker, this was a lot of fun. It was much needed. Um, but as we end every episode, I know you didn't prepare. No, no, no. I did this time. Oh my God. I, got, I got a little bit of a curveball. I'm well, getting well, better. What What is the best thing in the basketball world that you saw recently? So for anyone that hasn't watched it, um, I'm enjoying it a little bit too much. But I've been watching Winning Time, the uh, Lakers documentary on HBO. It's funny. Um, if anyone hasn't watched, like dive in. If you like John C. Riley, you're going to be... <laughs> laughing pretty hysterically he is incredible as dr bus so um that show is also very graphic and i was not (laughs) ready for it but it's been hilarious and and they're doing a good job of like every every end of each episode and i you know i'm throwing a curveball because it's a basketball show but it doesn't feel like it's a laker documentary until you see like the laker logo and then you're like oh yeah so it's just it's well-written and the characters are getting funny, but um, there's a scene in the last episode in which uh, I'm blanking on the coach's name, but he's literally just like sitting in the room and all these like animations about plays and stuff are going all around the board. And I'm like, okay, that feels like me with making my big board. So that was pretty funny. What about you, Metcalf? Best, best thing in basketball. What was it? Uh, I got to give a shout out to Paige Beckers. Uh, yes. Incredible performance for UConn women Huskies and she's coming home for the final four. Um, I, I feel bad for every other team in the women's final four because Paige is coming back to Minnesota and I know UConn women's basketball has a pretty massive following, but I think the stands are about to be extraordinarily lopsided. Uh, she was a huge celebrity before she went to college as a high school player and I, her, she, she's proving to be one of the best basketball players in the country right now. And what what she did in that Elite Eight game was so much fun. I, I'm a huge Minnesota Vikings fan. Yes, everyone, you can laugh at my pain. But they even, like, tweeted at her and was like, all right, Paige. So it, it's cool. It's cool to have uh, that Final Four crowd. It's going to be nuts. It's it's going to be wild go here. Crazy. Yeah, I, so I, I wish that I was here because I would go to those games. Uh, but I will be out of town. But I, yeah, it, you just travel the, out of town all the time now, or what's going on? Well, I, I got to go see my brother in Madison. Go go visit my nephew who was born uh, in November. Haven't met him yet. So is this an excuse we're, to we're go see Johnny Davis? Together. Is this an excuse to go see Johnny Davis? Me and Johnny are just going to hang out all day. Actually, so <laughs> no, 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 it, it, it is not. But Rucker, please, please plug away. Tell the people where they can find you, where they can support you. Um, I'm at noceilingsmba.com. I'm going to be doing a lot of grinding on our YouTube channel. I got, um, I've got, we're going to have finals. You know, me and Metcalf were doing midterms in the beginning or in the middle of the season, which were midterm highlights of all the top prospects for this draft class. Now we're doing finals. We're staying with that theme. So we're going to be pumping out um, entire season highlights, um, offense, defense, and a little bit of specialty areas for all um, as probably at least 40 to 50 prospects. So yeah, I'm going to be hammering those out. Um, please support us on YouTube because those are going to be rolling. Um, other than that, I'll be writing on there doing this podcast with Metcalf because I love it so much. I'm excited for some of these guests we've, we've got planned in the near future. And draft season is officially about to be underway soon, folks. So buckle the fuck up.
It's going to be a wild ride. The most we've sworn on it. Sorry for any parents listening. Yeah. We love you. Um, but, sorry, you know, Mom. yeah, sorry. Sorry, Mr. Metcalf. But <laughs> Metcalf, what about yourself? Plug it. Um, yeah, I, I had a piece over on Canis Hoopers today come out on Carl Anthony Towns. I saw um, that. Leap in scoring versatility and how he's kind of used his drive to become the most versatile scoring big man um, in the league. Uh, this Friday, I will have a piece on Christian Brown over on no ceilings, which should be fun. Um, and then like Rucker said, please, please make sure to go support us over on YouTube. Um, those Friday screener videos or write-ups I've been doing will be con- be being converted to video oh, breakdowns oh, as well. So, um, that's a treat. I didn't in know the, that in, one. in the near future. So that's my, my, my big project between now and then. Um, but once again, I'm Tyler Metcalf. You can follow me on Twitter at tmetcalf11. Uh, you can find all of our written work for free at noceilingsnba.com. Please make sure to subscribe. If you do, all of our written work gets delivered directly to your inbox the minute it is published, and it is 100% free. There's no excuse not to subscribe. Uh, please make sure to follow us on Twitter at no Ceilings NBA. And like Rucker and I both previously said, please make sure to subscribe to you to us on YouTube at No Ceilings TV. We got some really cool stuff in the works, and it's going to be a lot of fun over there. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and a five star rating. Until next time, see ya.